SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Sometimes it appears as a bat, and sometimes as a small cloud of swirling vapor. In this way, it can move unseen among its enemies. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is William Thrasher. And from this point on, we will be dedicating all of our time to scientific research. We're wrapping up our look at the classic Universal Horror trilogy of Dracula films with Son of Dracula, released in 1943, directed by Robert Siodmak, a screenplay by Eric Taylor, based on a story by Kurt Siodmak, starring Lon Chaney Jr., Robert Page, Louise Albritton, and Evelyn Ankers. And um, I had never seen this before watching it for the show, and... It really struck me as a more typical kind of sequel people might expect compared to what we got with Dracula's Daughter. Well, it's it's a little bit more of the same, uh, and uh, I was I was well. Although what, what I find interesting about this is that the uh, the woman Dracula is obsessed with is just as obsessed with Dracula. They were they they formed a really weird dark romantic dyad. Um. Yeah, it's almost a love triangle, I I would say, except it's not like they all love, there's not multiple people loving Dracula, but you're (laughs) right, there's kind of a jilted lover, a a cuckold, I think cuck is what they would say now or whatever, but yeah, it it is really one of those things, you know, it is a different story, it doesn't resemble the the novel in the slightest. um, Well, it's also set in the United States. Yes, in in, uh, Louisiana, I believe, you have the swamps, uh, and... In particular, the uh, the abode of um, this kind of old lady in the swamp reminds me very much of the voodoo fortune teller from uh, Monkey Island. I got the exact same vibe from, from her you? scene. That's so funny. Um, I did a bit of research, or pre-search as we call it on this program, and it, it did strike me that Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, was very um, proud of his portrayal of Dracula in this film, and in fact, he says it's closer to what's in the Bram Stoker novel, and, and he's right. He is described in the human form as, as more as a refined gentleman with a, a thin mustache who dresses well. Uh, I mean, they do point out he's from Hungary, uh, which is strange. I thought that would have been like Transylvania or something, but... I'm wondering if even at that point they felt that Transylvania was sounding too cliche in a horror movie. Could be. Um, I do wonder why it was so many years between the Dracula sequels compared to, like, the Mummy sequels where they kept pumping them out. Or even the Frankenstein sequels, they did quite a lot. Uh, I, but, but maybe Dracula's daughter didn't do as well. I like, who knows? I don't know. I, I, can only, I can only presume that, you know, with with the, the Mummy, it's a lot of grunting and groaning, but Dracula's enough of a big name and a romantic figure that maybe there is... A, a certain notion that well we've got to get this right we've got to if we're going to do a Dracula movie it's got to be something special although the something special for this film is the Second World War yeah and um, in the version we watched after the end credits it had an advertisement about buying war bonds you're not just spending you're lending buy war bonds yep. where you shop or bank. Which is nice. I mean, something you've seen in some of these DVD special editions. Uh, I don't think this one had it, but I've seen other ones that did. They have a mode where you can watch it. It would simulate what it would be like to see in a theater. So you see a newsreel, you see an old cartoon, and then it goes into the feature. Oh, that's so cool. And that, that's, that's something I wouldn't mind seeing more of. The War Bond thing reminded me of that a little bit. Um, and if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this might be the first form of media in which um, Dracula has a son named Alucard. 
Uh, I guess I believe this is the birth of that cliche. Of course, it wasn't a cliche at the time. It's it's almost daring, but for for those of you who haven't been paying attention for the past 80 years, uh, Alucard is Dracula spelled backwards. And if you've been watching Dr. Madblood's movie, Lacudra is Dracula spelled sideways. Um, but this Dracula Alucard thing is something that gets brought up all the time now. Uh, I think I think people currently are most familiar with it from the character Alucard from the Castlevania video game series. But what shocked me in this movie is how quickly they tip their hand. Because like very early in the opening, we see Dracula's luggage, and the guy looks at the seal that says Alucard and immediately runs his finger along it backwards. Yeah, on the the Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal podcast, uh, I think one of the many episodes they focused on Universal Horror Pictures, which uh, Gilbert likes a lot, and uh, they they pointed out this scene as as something where they really assume their audience must be idiots uh, for pointing this out like directly in front of them, like, "Hey, stupid! This is what this means." But I also think at the time uh, these movies were considered children's movies, as weird as that may seem for. I mean, you can call this a horror movie. I'd call this more of a romance, if we're going to be frank. But Well, it's strange, because cause the horror kid phenomenon really doesn't start until the 1950s, when all of the old Universal monster movies got repackaged and sold Television. into local syndication. Um, so I feel like, even even at the time, I can't imagine this was perceived as, as a, a children's film. I think it's... I think it's lack of confidence on the director. I think the director felt no one would pick up on this, and so, which is why every time Alucard gets brought up, the fact that it is Dracula backwards gets pointed out at some point. In fact, even a character writes Alucard on paper and then turns the paper around. <laughs> so you see that it also says Dracula in his There's an awful era. lot of, yeah, there's an awful lot of characters that are basal expositions in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Even Dracula you mean he's a vamp- exposition. Right. You mean he's a vampire? Yes, he feasts on blood. How can we kill him? Well, there's two ways. Yeah, it, there's a lot of dialogue like that. And yet, if on the overall package enjoyable, we should probably get into the plot here. Just like Dracula's Daughter, this is a contemporary film, unlike the original Dracula, which to me struck me as more of a period piece, right? You didn't have cars and stuff. And this you have telephones, you have... Uh, Although, you know, with the, the character of Van Helsing, technology was always a part of the original Dracula story. But um, that that the setting is switched to the uh, United States and to New Orleans. Uh, it makes it sort of like a southern gothic on, on some level. Um, I think it's kind of a fresh location. I, I didn't mind that. I think swamps are always spooky. Um, I, I've not been to swamps in Louisiana, but I have been to a few of the swamps in uh, Florida and it's just, it feels like you're on a different world. It feels like you're on an alien planet. Like, it's its uh, all, all the insects everywhere. You can feel the hot, sticky, hot humidity. Uh, it, it's a unique environment. And to put Dracula there, or the sun, rather, why not? Well, and I like I like the change of scenery. Uh, I think doing a swamp in the deep south was a it was a great choice of environment. Uh, they do they do tie it in a bit to uh, voodoo. You mentioned you mentioned the the, the old woman that that has her big scene early uh, early in the film, and I think I can't help but think that that might also be a, ch- a deliberate choice because of World War Two. Because what is what is Dracula in this movie but a foreign invader brought in by an American collaborator? Mm. And and that's right. actually, and that's also something that that is, is there's a scene. I watched this movie twice in preparation for the episode, and there's two bits of dialogue I kept going over where once Dracula says it, and once I believe it's it's Catherine says it. So, uh, something something along the lines of you know oh, well, where I where I come from. Uh, the 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 soil is, or the 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 soil is is tainted by the mixed blood of a of a hundred races. I came here because your your race is vital and pure, and I I cannot figure out what is the intent of that line. Uh, is the movie trying to speak out against racism by making its by making its uh, antagonist obsessed with some form of blood purity? Or is the movie racist and it's saying we are more pure than the Europeans? We got to watch out. Perhaps a bit of both. I mean, when you said the thing about blood purity, I thought of the 
the Nazi bloodline and wanting the blonde hair, blue eyes, mm. and you know, pure German stock, all, all that sort of thing. And uh, and I never thought of it that way. I'll have to visit this picture again. It's it's certainly a subtext in there. And uh, one thing that surprised me later in the film, I promised your listener we're going to do the plot chronologically as we do, but um, rather late in the film, they spell out the rules for how to kill a vampire. And one of them I, I hadn't heard before. Uh, one, they mention, you know, the, the sunlight and that they're scared of the cross and all, all that sort of thing. But the other one is um, the coffin they sleep in has to have dirt from their their homeland which is something they set up in dracula but they said but then if you destroy that then the vampire has nowhere to sleep well i think that's an implication of Mm -hmm. of that particular rule uh yeah i think this is just the first film that spelled it out and where that does pay off uh in a big way because you know we'll get to it when we get to it but that that's what does dracula in but yeah, I thought that was an interesting twist, and I, I agree, it certainly makes sense. Although maybe could Dracula contact a dealer in Hungary to, to mail him soil in a package that he then dumps into a coffin? Well, I figure this is why you want to keep some backup soil if you're a vampire on the go. That's right. You know, you, you would, I think you'd go to a gas station in West Virginia and next to the horny goat weed uh, in the back by the bathrooms, you could find the, uh, the European soil, vampiric soil. But although, see, that's why the, that's why in, in the first movie in the series, Dracula was smart. He brought three coffins full of soil. So he had two backups. True. And how much soil, right? Maybe it's just a few grams. Maybe it's a, a half pound, full pound. Well, I know in most modern interpretations, it's like two handfuls but I feel like it's more visually impressive when the coffin is just packed with earth. So usually in a movie, it's a whole bunch of soil. Of course. Um, so, I mean, the the movie starts proper where you have uh, a plantation owner, Colonel Caldwell, played by George Irving. His, uh, his daughter, Catherine Caldwell, played by Louis Albritton, invites Count Alucard from uh, Hungary over... Uh, over to visit and they're waiting his arrival and he never shows up. They're kind of, you know, they have a party and uh, they're upset that he's not there. Yeah. All, all we see is his luggage arrive at the train station, but that's it. And the Colonel finally, he decides to retire to bed uh, early uh, and he dies uh, that very night. And they say he dies of a heart attack, but the implication is he's died of fright because Dracula showed up earlier in the form of a bat to scout the premises. And this movie has a lot of vampire bat action. Uh, and what I love is you have, like, animation as a transition effect between Dracula turning into the bat uh, back and forth. And it's really good. Like, it's 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 mm-hmm. a special effect that they figure out. And since they figured it out, they show it time and time again. But it, it looks great where, where Dracula's just sort of surrounded with what I can only describe as, like, a burning mist. And then that burning mist folds in on itself. And suddenly there's the same puppet bat we've been watching this whole time. But the transformation looks amazing. Certainly, and uh, but with the colonel, you have with the colonel dead, his daughters uh, inherit uh, inherit the money. Uh, so uh, his his daughter Claire inherits all the money, and the daughter Catherine inherits the the old plantation house in the swamp, and she immediately seals herself up in there with Dracula. Yeah, I mean she makes. Uh, no bones about it. Well, Ca- Dracula Catherine, is, is the one she likes. Well, Catherine starting out has like a lot, a lot of agency. She, she's, she's very, she's very spooky. She is obsessed with the occult. It's been, it's implied that she's been doing a lot of occult research, and that's how she got in contact with Dracula. It, it, it and, uh, and it turns out she not only does she know that he's a vampire, she wants him to come to the states and be with her so that she can have immortality. Uh, and that's, in fact, the voodoo woman in the swamp who's sort of her advisor, who Dracula also kills fairly early on. Um, you know, that you know, that that's her whole warning is like, just don't don't immortality is not worth it. Don't get mixed up with immortality. But uh, Kay will hear none of it. And I mean, don't get mixed up in immortality. That's an element uh, you see, especially in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, where 
you know, Dracula pines for his lost love and immortality is more of a curse. You see the kind of same theme in like the later Highlander films and all those things. And and that it's brought up here um, is is a good point. And I, that you have, you have a woman that's already right off the bat very, very interested, presumably had some prior relationship with, uh, with Alucard slash Dracula. It reminds me a bit of, is it Lucy or Mina? I think it's Lucy, right, from the uh, first movie? Well, yeah, Lucy Lucy does get turned into a vampire by Dracula in the first film. And so it's a little bit of a retread of that, I think, where you have someone, a woman that's more, uh, I guess you could say more modern, more, more has her own agency, as you put it. Well, because that's the difference, though, is that Lucy is just kind of a victim. Dracula takes her by surprise. Kay has cultivated a relationship with Dracula and has this true, goal true, of immortality yeah. in mind. Um and but but she also had a relationship with Frank Stanley, who's this sort of other man, who the moment Dracula actually shows up is completely shut out of Kay's life. Yeah, and and Frank Stanley, he's played by Robert Page. Uh, elements of his performance remind me a bit of Runfield from the original. Well, he he gets manic because one of the things he does is he decides to confront Dracula and settle settle his hash after they after. Alucard and Kay have become recluses, and so he visits them in the plantation house. And you know, Alucard's like, "No, don't you see? We we're you're going to be sleeping during the day and spending our nights conducting scientific research, you know, like you do." And uh, Frank Stanley gets sort of so, and, and Frank Stanley figures uh, Al- Alucard has done something with with Kay, and he gets so angry he pulls out a pistol and he shoots Alucard. Well, the bullets go through Alucard and hit Kay. He spends uh, about a third of this movie thinking that he killed Kay, the love of his life. And that's kind of what puts him over the edge. And one of the first things he does is he goes to the sheriff and he turns himself in for Kay's murder. Uh, and the the investigation into this murder and the reveal that Kay is not dead, she's very much alive, causes all sorts of interesting sort of psychological back and forth with Frank. I also love that the name of the estate is Dark Oaks. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's before it becomes a haven for a vampire. That's right. It lets you know there are, uh, you know, bad bad things are coming, <laughs> and that, and kind of like like what we saw with the with the psychologist and some of the characters and the uh, Dracula's daughter. Uh, in this one, you you have these supporting characters that are. You know, like medical professionals and, and psychiatrists and psychologists and all these things trying to decide, well, is is this vampire stuff real? Is it not? And it, it, to me, it just feels like so much filler material. If you're seeing a movie called Son of Dracula as an audience member, you know what a vampire is. You don't need like a fourth of the movie eaten up with this time where, oh, he has pointy teeth. Oh, I'm going to make a cross on the neck. Oh, I'm going to... like It's all this, like, rigmarole you've seen a million times before. But part of that is, this is, a, as of this recording, a late 2019. I've seen a zillion vampire movies. Audiences seen Son of Dracula have not, right? The Son of Dracula could be your first vampire movie, I think, is, is, is why they have this stuff in there. But what? I find that kind of tedious, uh Quite possibly, although one thing it does do in in both previous films, you know, we had we had a, a victim in an operating theater where they comment on the neck wounds. This is the first film where we see the neck wounds. There's uh, mm-hmm. very late in the film, a mother brings her son in who won't wake up, and you know he's he's anemic, and the doctor realizes that sees that he has these two puncture marks on his neck. And we flat out see those puncture marks. And I do like his solution as he takes the medical iodine and paints yeah. a cross over over each wound. That's that's very I like the way that the film really leans into the religious imagery. That I thought was clever and that it's a you know, that it's a younger boy, like presumably you know, maybe it's like veal, right? If you have <laughs> the blood of a younger person it, it tastes better. The the blood is young and vital, I uh, would probably be what the vampire would say. Correct, and um, I mean, also, I, I love uh, speaking of the makeup with the, how Catherine looks when she becomes vampiric. There's something about black and white that you can make the white really pop, and and just have it look almost ghostly looking, and it's always more effective on the women, I think, than the men. 
and she and she physically like barely changes because she's already kind of pale, mm-hmm. raven haired, and creepy. But yeah, the way they light her dress, there is something ethereal about it. Uh, but of course, that's why the bullets didn't kill her. She's already been turned into a vampire at that point. Um, and when when Harry Brewster, Doctor Harry Brewster, and the and the sheriff go investigating, and they find Kay perfectly alive, you know, it's and wondering what what this means about Frank. Uh, we also get the character of Professor Laszlo, who is I believe they pin him as the American or the Hungarian ambassador to the United States. And there's a bit where Harry Brewster is talking with him over the phone before he actually shows up in the film. And he's like, oh, no, well, I, I can tell you, you know, there are no Draculas. They're all dead. And Alucard's not a Romanian name. And and I do that's that's a character that a character type that I have loved in all of these films, the old learned academic who still has a healthy respect for the occult. And I love it. Laszlo is played by J. Edward Bromberg. He has this kind of, you know, like jolly rotund face. And he has this accent that I think helps sell his, uh, I was going to say otherness. That's not quite right, but that he's not American, right? He, he, looks and he talks different from the other characters, and that makes it seem like, oh, this guy must be an expert on, on vampires or Draculas, because he's not from here. He's from there, well, right? Well, it's a subtle and more realistic accent. It's not like the yes. villagers in the first film. What? A Dracula? Like, he's like, oh, no, I do know it is not a Hungarian name. Like, it's it's just very, mm-hmm. it's very low-key, and that, that helps ground it. It makes the character seem that much more real. I think Laszlo, as far as all these exposition characters, might be one of my favorites. He has, you know, like a little bit of humor. You you know, he's not the skeptic like some of the other characters. Like the sheriff is certainly the skeptic. Well, he also has but, those uh, great, like, Coke bottle glasses that you just don't mm-hmm. see anymore. <laughs> yeah. I do love those old-fashioned spectacles. Well, it did strike me uh, in, in these, as we've watched these Dracula movies, uh, by far the oldest uh, movies we, we've done on the, the sequel cast podcast to date, you're almost like watching something uh, back in time to see how people uh, used to speak. Even though they're actors and they're doing an exaggerated accent and they're supposed to be from America, you used to have that more kind of refined uh, New York theater acting thing going on. Oh, yeah. Well, well people talk like this. What are we going to do? Some blind tiger pinching suds on the side? Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I don't know, I just find that very appealing. And it makes the acting seem better somehow. I don't know why. Oh, <laughs> one scene I do want to point, uh, talk about just because it was really effective. So after Frank presumably uh, murders Kay, he goes running from the plantation and there's this great chase sequence where he's chased by uh, by a Dracula in bat form through the swamp. And I found that scene was actually was was had some delightful tension. Uh, the bat puppet moves in a more dynamic ways than we've seen in any of the other films. I love the use of the old gnarled trees, the Spanish moss, uh, the cross imagery when he runs through the, uh, the old abandoned cemetery as part of the chase. Uh, what did you think of that about the uh, chase scene? Uh, I, I liked it too. There, there's a bit more urgency to it than, than other parts of the picture. Uh, it was a bit more modern the way it was shot. And although I don't think that the bat was, was a threat. You certainly, um, because of the way that all the action went around, you, you felt the panic that the uh, Frank was feeling as he was running through the the uh, nature and the woods and everything. Well, that it was, that, it was... that is a, a way of selling a special effect that mm-hmm. I don't often see discuss, uh, discussed is very often it is not so much the inherent quality of the special effect it's how the characters in the film react to it. And damned if, if Frank does not react like he's as if he's being chased by a real giant bat, and that that really helps the scene. Right. I mean, like, listen, like to, to have a scary scene in a movie, you don't even need special effects at all. I, I think of the original version of The Haunting. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a black-and-white movie about a professor who takes people to a haunted house and they're supposed to have ghosts and stuff they remade it with liam neeson in the late 90s but um but anyhow in the original a lot of the scares are uh doors slamming and like oh i thought i heard something and it's very very intense because of the way it's shot you don't really see a special effect beyond a door slam which is like quite simple to do but if, if you shoot it correctly if you have the actors if the actors believe in the moment then so will the audience 
there and there there is a lesson in all this. Um, but as the movie progresses, things get more complicated because Kay masters her vampire abilities, uh, and she starts appearing to Frank in his jail cell, saying how she didn't want Dracula, she just wanted immortality, and she wants to make Frank immortal, and then they can be vampires. They can be vampires together, and she starts trying to get it into his head that he can defeat Dracula. Um, and this is and this is interesting, and that's something I wanted to talk to you about as far as uh, as far as Kay's agency goes. Do you think that really was her plan the whole time, or do you think she's realized Dracula isn't all he's cracked up to be, so he's she's trying to get him out of the way? Hmm. Um, I, I did like this plot twist. I admit it did surprise me. I thought it was a good wrinkle to the action, and uh, more to the point, to answer your question, I. I think it's more the the latter, the second option, and that Dracula isn't all that he promised to be once she uh, saw him in the flesh and in the bat wing and in the mist and whatever other forms he might take. <laughs> uh, he was not all uh, that she had imagined uh, with their long-distance uh, relationship, as it were. And that she is convincing her kind of milquetoast uh, partner to be the one to man up, uh, so to speak, and to kill uh, Alucard slash Dracula is is really interesting. On top of this, you have kind of comic business going on with the prison guard saying, oh, I hear him talking to a woman. He's really good at doing these voices. Oh, and they kind of yeah. let that drag on for a bit. Uh, but, but they kind of need to for the plot. He He gets kind of drips and drabs. You hear about this stuff happening, then you see it. And then in the aftermath, as the prison guard is talking about it to... Uh, to Brewster and Laszlo and all these other characters, they're like, wait a second, actually vampires can do this, this, and this. This is why she could sneak into it. It feels, I mean, it's the kind of thing you see in really old science fiction where they feel the need to explain everything as to why it works in a very didactic manner. <laughs> you're, you're right. And also with the prison guard, it also gives us the same bit of comical business that, uh, that was particularly in Daughter of Dracula with the the, the two uh, the two bobbies who who kept <laughs> making those you know that oh those like weird mm-hmm. mugging comical asides right which strangely enough I guess I didn't mind if only because I think it helps a horror movie to have a little bit of levity just so that there's something for the horror to contrast with it does I mean I thought about this the other day but horror and comedy are really quite related to each other and that both have suspense. But with comedy, it's like a laugh on the other end. In horror, it's like you get a jump, you get a scare. Well, yeah, they're both about the buildup and release of tension, but it's the mm-hmm. nature of mm-hmm. the release that makes all the difference. Exactly. Um, but we do, uh, the film does start gearing up uh, to the climax. Uh, they, uh, Frank, uh, Dr. Brewster, Professor Laszlo, the sheriff, they go to, they go to Dark Oaks. Uh, and... Short version is uh, Frank sets a Dracula's coffin on fire, so he has nowhere to go uh, when the sun comes out, and that's what defeats him. But in the process, ends up setting the whole plantation house on fire. Uh, so he finds uh, he finds Catherine reclining, already reclining in her coffin, uh, puts his ring on her finger, uh, and Catherine is then left to burn to death in the burning plantation. Yes. Um, One thing that, you know, really struck me about this is a movie from the 1940s. When they say, like, okay, we're going to do this final assault altogether on uh, Dark Oaks, in a modern movie, you'd be like, okay, we have half an hour left to go. Instead of Dracula, you have 10 minutes left in the picture when they get to that point. Well, it's all wrapped up very quickly and very mm-hmm. tidily, but I think it's, it's. I mean, you're glad Dracula's been defeated. You do feel Frank's loss when he has to uh, sure. leave Catherine uh, in there to burn to death. I guess I, I, in a large part, I also see this as a, as a, a as sort of a lost opportunity because when the plantation house burns down, I want that to stand as a rejection of of slavery and institutionalized racism and 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 I guess in, in a way the, the racism that I wish Dracula represented in the movie but I feel like it is just a place to have the climax and it's a set you've seen. I, I feel like the, the movie yeah. I feel like the movie has avoided making a political statement that would have elevated the material. 
you do have a first for a Dracula movie, I believe. Um, a African American actress and Etta McDaniel plays Sarah Brewster's maid, and it's a very, you know, kind of stock part. Well, there, there's several African American actors who show up as as domestic servants in the opening oh, sure. act, yeah. but they disappear the real quick. One of the first they things do. Dracula they and Kay do is fire everybody from the mansion. Those characters are never seen or heard from again. And on the one hand, you know, they don't. They don't do any kind of step and fetch it, sleep and eat business. But on the other hand, they have no impact on the story whatsoever. They're they're They might as well be set dressing in the scenes they're in. Right. So you have a little bit of representation, but it's um, still, it's the it, mildest form. Uh, exactly. So what? And I I wish there was more of a confrontation between uh, Alucard and um, Frank at the end. I think that that struck me as a bit. You know, like you see him very panicky, uh, Alucard saying to Frank, "Like here, you must you must save my coffin." He kind of like pushes him towards the flames to to deal with it, and that doesn't really work. But you, you want like a fist fight or something. Instead, he kind of collapses into this puddle, and the sunlight comes out, and he disappears. Like it's not terribly satisfying of a, of a climax. You do have the fire. That's a bit exciting. But. Well, we, we've never really seen a direct confrontation no. with, with the vampire, even in Dracula's daughter. She shot from a great distance. There's <laughs> never a real, sh- a true yeah. showdown or a reckoning. That's right. It's, um, but I, I think that the ending is kind of isn't, terribly satisfying but i do like the tragic note of, of Catherine having to die as well and i think they could have hung on that a bit more i would have wouldn't have minded an extra scene or two just to round things out because it does and it's a bit too neat and a bit too tidy well i was i'd also love to know what her sister claire thinks of all this claire just kind of vanishes uh halfway mm-hmm. through the movie i feel like she should be this involves her sister her family's estate she really should be involved in this climax somehow and that this takes place in New Orleans, we don't get like a like a hillbilly character. I think that could have been fun. Uh, you mean uh, I think you're you're thinking Creole, Creole, yes. But yeah, some although flavor, some I'm sure it would have just been comic relief if it had been included. I think so. Uh, someone getting out voodoo blessings or something. I mean, you have the well, you got you Madame crazy... Queen Zimba by. Uh... I, I could have used more of her. I thought she was good, played by. Adeline DeWaite uh, Reynolds. No, it's she's she, she's she's delightful, but like a lot of characters, she's she's written out real quick uh, as one of Dracula's first victims. Yeah, so overall, I think I would give a sequel yes to Son of Dracula. It's more typical than Dracula's daughter, but it's by no means uh, by no means an embarrassment. Um, Lon Chaney Jr., while not as iconic as Bela Lugosi, has his own spin on. Uh, a relative of the character, let's say. And well, it, that's that's the thing about the movie. The movie keeps n- never makes up its mind whether this is right. a descendant of the real Count Dracula or whether this is the real Count Dracula. Yeah, but it's called Son of Dracula. True, and I found out the promotional, the press kit advertised him as being the son of Bela Lugosi's character. So, mm. I guess we can presume that that is clearly the intent. Yep. So. I, yeah, I would say sequel, yes. I, I like this one. This was kind of more what I was expecting. It's, uh, you know, Dracula's Daughter, I think, is a more interesting movie to analyze. But this one, it's it's a good, classic vampire entertainment. I guess I'm... I'm I'm torn because I did I did enjoy I'm okay. I'm going to give this I'm going to give this a sequel. No, while I did enjoy this film, I don't think we need any more Draculas in this cycle. We're sort of going to get them because from this point on, it's all crossovers, but that's mm-hmm. outside of the scope of this round of episodes. That's right. Um, interesting. So, yeah, it, it is one of those things that we'll have to uh, agree to disagree on, but I, I don't think, uh, I hope you don't feel your time was wasted watching this. And I think it's, it for some, this one you did not see on TV very much. You know, if they were to put a Dracula movie in one of those Halloween uh, marathons, it would always be just the first one. And yet Frankenstein, they always do, you know, like Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. So why are these Dracula sequels not remembered? I'm not quite sure. I think a lot of it has to do with the lack of Lugosi. Uh, And, and, you know, none of these other films would have achieved anywhere close to that iconic status. 
Yeah, good point. Um, so, with that in mind, uh, let's do pitch a sequel. What did you have in mind as a, as a sequel to this, if you could do anything you wanted? Well, I don't want to just bring Dracula back again normally, so I want to do, I want to do Curse of Dracula. And mm-hmm. the idea is going to be that, so yeah, Dracula, as, as portrayed in this movie, did in fact die. Now Dracula's a ghost. But Dracula knows a little bit more expository vampire lore than anyone else. So you know that kid, Andy, played by Sam McDaniel, that he uh, that he fed on earlier? Yes, because yeah. that was the last person Dracula fed on, there's sort of a connection between his ghost and the kid. And so the ghost keeps appearing to the kid as the kid grows older, almost like an imaginary friend, trying to trick the kid into doing this ritual that will bring Dracula back to life. And so, you know, the kid gets into the occult, the kid starts experimenting with, you know, calling up spirits, it causes all sorts of problems uh, uh, in, in, uh, in the swamp. But the kid is the kid does end up following the the uh, the directions and does a ritual on the burned out remains of, uh, of Dark Oaks. And Dracula comes back to life. Uh, it's an imperfect resurrection, though. He is sort of more sort of a monstrous form, almost zombie-like. He only he only starts to look more human as he starts to feed. But it's at that moment that uh, Andy realizes he's made a great big mistake releasing Dracula uh, back onto the world. So he has to track down Frank Stanley to help him put Dracula to rest uh, for good this time. And Frank Stanley... Uh, uh, we found out that Frank Stanley has has essentially gone into into seclusion just because of the mental strain of everything that happened in Son of Dracula. So the kid really has to work to bring Frank out of retirement. And part of why he does that is as long as Dracula is 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 back alive in a physical form, uh, Kay's spirit cannot rest. So he does it for Kay after she appears to him as a ghost. Uh, and this time, Dracula's going to be going to be dead for good. They're going to burn him. They're going to scatter the ashes. They're going to have the land where those ashes are scattered blessed uh, by various various priests and wonder workers. And that's going to be the end. Is that is you know Andy and Frank walking away from all this mess uh, as 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 sadder but wiser men. Hmm. Mine would be called Dracula equals Alucard. <laughs> and it would be a, a prequel set in Hungary about how um, the son of Dracula, I presume this would be made at the same time and Lon Chaney would uh, reprise his part, but it, it'd be more like a, a bit of a legal thriller of Dracula doing everything he has to do to change his name to Alucard and also a bit of a comedy and having people not notice. Doesn't that sound a bit like Dracula? Why, no. No, it doesn't. <laughs> So there you go. It it, it would be uh, that sort of business, and you would you would have maybe a, a, a distant relative of Van Helsing happen to be in Hungary on vacation, get, I'm, I'm, get involved in all this. I'm just imagining. Have you ever thought about just giving yourself like a more real sounding name, like Von Karstein or uh, or Orlock? Why no, Alucard. That sounds strong, masculine. Orlock sounds like a monster in a cave. <laughs> so there you go. I think uh, you have a question for me, Mr. Thrasher. Uh that that question is how many more names can you get by rearranging <laughs> the letters in the name Dracula? Uka Lord. Uh you can uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yep, there there you go. <laughs> oh, okay, that's uh Kuladra? Kuladra is another name you can get. Draluka, that's another one. Uh, anyway, uh, no, the, the question is what you watching? <laughs> it could also be Rad Kula. <laughs> <laughs> Rad, oh, that, that's from the extreme teen 90s version, Rad Kula. Rad Kula, yeah, it's terrible. If um, I control the skateboarders, I will control the night. I had a chance to watch a... Um, a film I hadn't seen in a while. This was something on TV, or no, on, I was archiving stuff on my uh, Plex server, and um, I was watching Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Oh. So that, that's the fourth the fourth one with Corey Feldman and Crispin Glover. And um, 
it I found it pretty pretty good. I mean, there, there's some weird things going on. This is a, a rare movie where, uh, it, I mean, the first few movies do this, but Jason is dead. He's taken to the hospital. In the hospital, he kills people, and then he works his way back to Crystal Lake, <laughs> which is, you saw kind of a similar thing happen in Halloween 2 with uh, Mike Myers being taken to, Michael Myers, excuse me, being taken to the uh, hospital and, and working his way back to, to kill people in the, the town. Haddonfield. Um, and, and this uh, final chapter, I think, is, is pretty good, but one, there, there's a weird continuity error that I think was done just for budgetary reasons. You see um, Jason picks up and throws the dog outside of a window of a house in a second story, and then you don't see the dog land. You don't see what happens to the dog. They just completely drop it for the next 20 minutes. But then the dog does come back? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Oh. It never comes back. It's like the dog vanishes, and the way it edits, you can't you can't tell. Maybe the dog jumps out to save its own life. Maybe Jason tosses him out. It's such a clunky edit that I think it's like you didn't want a dog on set. Maybe you couldn't do two. You couldn't afford two days with the dog, and they couldn't figure out how to do the stunt. So they're just like oh, the audience for well, this isn't going to notice. Well, the way the way you describe the awkwardness of the edit, I suspect they 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 did film some aftermath, but found it too unpleasant. That that's the interesting thing is it's could be it, it's more difficult to watch something bad happen to a dog than to a human being or a cat. That's that's true, and if something bad happens to a cat, people will laugh. Uh. To a person, I think they're kind of immune to it, but you're right, to a dog. Um, a, a not very good horror movie that has a very sad, sad dog scene is The Fly 2. Oh, yeah. That one's a real rough one to get through. Part of but the hey, fun. that's a sequel. We could do that later. We could, yeah. In fact, uh, Shout Factory just came out with a five-disc set of the original Fly trilogy plus The Fly 1 and 2. Oh, Cool. Which is neat. So all the all the flies uh, to date that there hasn't been a modern remake of the fly is kind of surprising. Um, did you see the trailer? Universal is doing another version of the Invisible Man, but it's being produced through uh, Blumhouse. I have not seen the trailer. I, I've only heard that they're doing it. So considering they they screwed up with the Tom Cruise mummy thing, I guess they're giving Blumhouse a kind of soft reboot at trying to do a, a shared universe oh. yet again because you know it didn't work for van helsing it didn't work for what was that dracula origin movie dracula untold dracula what a terrible title yeah dracula untold i believe the benicio del toro's werewolf movie was also a a going to be the, a springboard you're right for this yeah, the series wolf. yeah wolf they, they just just start with one Decent to good movie. I think out of those, The Wolfman was okay. But, God, I don't know. Oh, well, it's a story for another day. But, yeah, so um, Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, I think is uh, is pretty good. It obviously is not the final chapter, but but there you go. It's... um. It's the last of those sort of classic ones before they kind of futz around a bit to find out what the right tone for Jason is. When Tom Savini comes back to do the effects like he did in the first one. And you see Jason without his mask, uh, which is... Yeah, which they did less and less as that series went on. Well, except for part seven, where he's fighting the telekinetic girl. Oh, yeah. Quite a bit of that, his face is exposed, but you're right, for the most part, they don't dwell on that um so what's what's something you've been watching thrasher so i i watched the the sort of the the spiritual brethren of the super mario brothers movie i watched the double dragon movie from 1994 andy dick yeah with andy dick playing himself as a weatherman for the post-apocalyptic city of new angeles a post-apocalyptic city i want to point out that exists within a regular world the apocalypse has been confined to los angeles and the hollywood hills right and uh and, and you're right. The aesthetic is a bit like the Mario Brothers movie with the cars and all the computers in the cars. It struck me it's kind of doing like 
Mad Max for kids in a way. Mad yeah, Max the, meets Blade Runner. The weird, the weird products, the whole thing with like jacks propping up every structure. Mm. But yeah, Scott Wolf, Mark Dacascos, Alyssa Milano, Robert Patrick. Uh, the, the this is this is I, I would put down as a, as a as a good bad movie. And I and I had been avoiding this movie for for quite some time. I didn't watch it completely from beginning to end. Until very recently, because uh, my wife wanted to watch it, it's 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 long been one of her favorite good bad movies, uh, hmm. and she was right. This is a good bad movie. It is so bonkers and so entertaining, and and so plays a. And I like the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's like okay, you want me to adapt this thing that has very little source material to go with it? All right. Now, around this time, there was an animated series of Double Dragon. Is that based on the movie, or is it its own thing? I, I suspect... I think it was its own thing. I okay. suspect... I'm, I'm sure that there was some sort of parallel development, but it was just different enough that I, that I, I feel like the animation rights and the live-action rights were two very different things sold in two very different directions, <laughs> which is why the animated series technically looks more like the video game than the movie but it's it's its own thing <laughs> right and uh, oddly enough double dragon 4 was a spin-off of the animated series and was a street fighter kind of the game so go figure although strangely enough uh i believe that same one that you're talking about uh uh adapted so so robert patrick plays uh Victor Geisman, a.k.a. Gokushuko, who is a character that they made up for the movie. He is a boss in the 1995 Double Dragon fighting game. Well, there you go. Um, the only thing I remember about this is the character of a Bobo getting fat and complaining about spinach or something. No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't get fat. So Bo oh. Bobo, who is one of the he's one of the, the mini bosses, I think, in the original game. He's yeah. a gang leader in this in this movie. And at one point, he gets captured by the bad guys and they do scientific experiments on him. And the experiments like inject him with all these steroids and make him super muscly. But he cuts. So, but he comes out looking like this swollen sausage man. Uh but yeah, when when he's eventually captured by uh, Alyssa Milano as Marina Delario, uh, she tortures him by force feeding him spinach. But then in the end, he joins the good guys. <laughs> right. It's it's an odd movie. I've not seen it in quite some time. It's uh, Robert Patrick has a a unique, very nineties hairstyle. Well, he he looks like he stepped out of a cyberpunk movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He's got the kind of wraparound shades. He's got the frosted tips. He's wearing like Rufus's jacket from Bill uh, and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I mean, if you want to see something that's goofy in a similar way, watch the American live-action movie of Fist of the North Star, starring oh, Chris Pan and McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. God. Okay. Well, cool. Um, yeah, good, good, bad movie. Check it out. It, it is never boring. It, it's nonsense, but it's never boring. <laughs> never boring sounds like it could be a pool quote for the movie poster. <laughs> did did uh, you notice? I, I wish yeah. they were more pool quotes like that. Um, did it ever use you know music from the video game? As far as you could tell, or uh, no. But uh, the Double Dragon video arcade game does appear in several scenes in the background. And uh, I, I believe, I don't know if it's Billy or, or Jimmy isn't, well, wait, who, who plays Billy and Jimmy? I might be getting this confused. Is it the one of the guys that's the American Iron Chef? Or am I thinking about Street Fighter? I think you're thinking about Street Fighter. Okay, I'm thinking about Ryu and Street Fighter. Carry on. Okay, <laughs> well, it's, yeah. it has my endorsement. That's... Very good. Um, cool. So we have a, a sequel scene to do that you pulled up, and it involves the sheriff. Uh, yes, this is. Uh, let me go on here. Yeah, this is uh, the sheriff. This is a. Uh, this is after uh, after Frank has turned himself in, but they have found no evidence that he's actually committed a murder, and so this is them just trying to figure out. Oh no! I'm sorry. I take that back. That was a different scene I had considered. Uh, this this is uh, when they're all surveying the damage done by burning Dracula's coffin. Oh, so very near the end of the film. Uh, yes. So, do you, right so who do you want to be? We have, we have three parts. Uh, I would like to do Professor Laszlo. 
Okay, so then I'll do Sheriff Dawes and Professor Harry Brewster. Okay. okay. Uh, you mean that's all that's left of Count Alucard? Look at the ring on his hand. It bears the Alucard seal, just as on his luggage. Well, assuming it is Alucard or, or Dracula or whoever he calls himself, where is Frank Stanley? He's he's still wanted for murder. You think that Frank killed Kay deliberately? Look, Doctor, I'm uh, only the sheriff. I'm not the judge. It's my job to bring him in and the courts to decide his guilt. Of course, but I think our testimony will have some bearing on the decision. Undoubtedly, but the main thing to do now is to find Frank, and I think I know where he is. You sound like as you're speaking, you're eating biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah more and more biscuits to, to speak around. More and more biscuits would be a good name for a memoir. Biscuits all the way down. All right. So, <laughs> uh, next time on Sequel Cast 2, we're taking a look, finally, at the new Star Wars sequel trilogy. Uh, and we'll, we'll be recovering any of those spinoff films while we're at it. That's right. So, it's uh, it's all been a long time coming. And... Um, did you want to do the sequel trilogy, I guess, then followed by the spinoff films would be the way to do it? I don't know. I almost want to do them in release order. Okay, although that we, does we create should, we a weird do, narrative shift. We should do release order, I guess, because that's what we did with the other ones, right? So Yeah. So that means we do Force Awakens, Last Jedi Force Awakens, Rogue One, Last Jedi Solo, and then Rise of Skywalker. That uh yep, I I believe that's it. There are no other spinoff films to <laughs> They're talk supposed about to as be, of but this time. They're supposed to be, but it didn't end up working out that way. So, very, very good. Um, so, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at SequelCast2. Uh, or you can follow the show on Twitter at SequelCast2. Follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. You can follow Go- me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. You can listen to the show on Stitcher and on uh, Spotify. I just added it to Spotify recently, so that's another place cool. you can listen to it. Or go to SequelCast2.com to uh, get an updated thing. And if you like what you hear, write a review on the Apple Podcast app. That always helps us with downloads and the ratings and and so forth. And um, when we cover movies based in the 1940s, we need all the help with downloads we can get. Why aren't you downloading right now? I don't hear you downloading. You should be downloading a gazillion episodes at once. Use a BitTorrent or something. A, B, D always be downloading very good so um you know be covering all the new star wars stuff in the in the weeks to come and then after that i had an invitation for something we should cover by friend of the show alex oh yeah that he wants to discuss the uh i believe the first five japanese yakuza paper movies on amazon prime very cool japanese gangster drama so that'll take up a lot of q1 of 2020 uh, so for gone. Oh no! Just that. Yeah, that'll be that'll be the first uh, foreign series. Actually, the second foreign series we've done since uh, the Supercop movies. Right. The first one was subtitles, not dubbed in English. Right. So that'll. Oh, be that's. Cool. This is going to be really neat. Excellent. So for sequel cast two, uh, this is Matt, and this is Thrasher saying, "I think I'll retire for the evening." <laughs> <laughs>